This is a bonus episode of the St. Church Glastonbury podcast. It's called You Need Jesus, part two. This comes live from our St. Church Highlands location. Same framework of a message, a whole different angle. Uh, if you want to go to the next level and study and grow deeper uh, in this subject, the minister of Jesus being salvation, then this is the message for you. When I was a youth pastor like 15 years ago, we made these youth group t-shirts and it's just white t-shirt in big, bold text. It said, you need Jesus. And the truth is that was true then. And it's true now. There's nothing that this world needs more than Jesus. We're going to look at these four key primary ministries of Jesus. Uh, we got salvation. We have mending. We have freedom that he's come to bring freedom and healing. Those are the four primary ministries of Jesus is what he's here to do on the planet. This is, he's like, I showed up here and I've come to fulfill the word of God. And he shows up uh, and he does this. This all happens in the context of Luke chapter four and Luke chapter four. Uh, he comes, Jesus is fresh from getting baptized and he's not only baptized in water, but he then the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove and he's full of the Holy Spirit in Luke four verse one. Then Jesus full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan river. He was led by the spirit into the wilderness. He was led into the wilderness and he did 40 days of prayer and fasting, 40 days of prayer and fasting just to get, to get charged up, I guess. And I think what's interesting to me is that in Luke 13, uh, sorry, in Luke 14, when he's leaving the wilderness, it says that he returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. The Holy Spirit filled Jesus, then leads him into a wilderness, into a place where he's going to become naturally, physically weak and tired. He experienced temptation directly from Satan. Like we all get temptation from minions. He's got temptations from Satan himself, who he knows well and who knows him. They know each other. They've, they've been around. They know, they want, they know one another. And, and so Satan's just twisting the word of God. And Jesus is just, no, that's not what it says. That's not what it says. It only ha there's only a few things they go back and forth on, but it's enough. It's like Jesus is hungry and he's like, listen, just take the rocks and turn them into bread, bro. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, in Luke 4, 30, he says, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The truth is Satan tempts us at opportune times. Uh, if you ever are in a period of prayer and fasting, when you watch TV, every single commercial looks amazing because they're all food commercials every single one you see a you don't even like burger king and you see a burger king commercial and all you want is a whopper so bad you're just tempted it just happens the devil knows how to tempt us at opportune times but the holy spirit this is this is i think maybe maybe where we've drifted the holy spirit led jesus into a difficult place Like, no, no, he's not going to lead me into a difficult place. He's going to lead me into a happy place. No, the only happy place is in heaven. So I guess that's a weird prayer. Lord, take me now. He led Jesus into a difficult place so that he could learn and grow and be sustained by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he left that difficult place full of the Holy Spirit. You can go through a challenge and it, you can be tired and you can be weary, but it is possible for you to come out on the other side full of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can sustain you all the way through. Then Jesus returned to Galilee full of the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. So here's just some Jewish culture of the day, okay? So uh, as you're reading the New Testament, this might help. There was one temple. 
There's one temple in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem is where all the sacrifices were made. But there were many synagogues all across the nation of Israel. Many, many synagogues. And in the synagogues, the synagogues were, were just meeting places, meeting halls, essentially. The ruler of the synagogue wasn't like a, a pastor uh, like today. They actually wouldn't teach. They would assign out to different members of the synagogue an opportunity just to share scripture. And they would, and they would, they would just speak and teach. And they would stand to read the scripture. They would gather to worship and to read scripture. And they would stand to read, to read the scripture. And then they would sit for the teaching. And Jesus starts going on tour, speaking to all these synagogues. And it says here that he was praised by everyone. Word gets like, they're like, wow, we like this guy. I don't know who this Jesus is, but when he teaches, he's funny. He tells jokes. Lives are changed. It's just amazing. He just has this authority, the way that he speaks. This report just like starts rippling out that like he's, he's the guy. Jesus is the man. So then he goes to his hometown. He gets to the village in verse 16. When he gets to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue, to the Sabbath, meaning Jesus usually went to church. He usually went every single week. And if Jesus can stand to go to church, then it's probably beneficial for us to usually go to church. So he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scripture. It's his time. Why? Because word got out. He's so good. He's so funny. When he talks, it's so insightful. The revelation, it's so good. Jesus, we know him. Let's have him, let's have him talk. What's the worst that could happen? So this scroll of Isaiah, the prophet was handed to him. So he didn't pick the scroll. He didn't pick the book. The book was handed to him. Right? So they give him the scroll, and he unrolled it, but he found a place. Now, what's really interesting is I would contend that you could actually find Jesus on every page of the Old Testament, that Jesus is in the, in the Old Testament, he is concealed in the New Testament, he is revealed, that you could find a type, a shadow, a figure of Jesus all over. I don't think this is, this is borderline. This is my opinion, not theological thought. I think it doesn't matter what they handed to Jesus, that he would have probably just went and found the place where it was written and he would have laid it out. But in this moment, this person was prompted to give him the book of Isaiah. He opens the book of Isaiah, goes to Isaiah 61, and this is Isaiah 61, but put it into Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Luke 4 verse 18, for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set. I feel like Jeff Wells right now doing this. And that the time of the Lord favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. First message in his hometown. He lays this out, and all the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Because remember, they stood to read the scripture, they read the scripture, then they sit down. Jesus sits down. Now, I also think we shouldn't miss that when Jesus sits down, he's now seated in a heavenly place now, that when he sits down, every time his scripture says that he sits down, it, it, like it confers and it suggests his authority. So he sits down and every eye is looking at him intently as if going like, where is he going with this? So he rolls it up, hands back, sits down, then he begins to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. 11 words. His first message is like 11 words. And they just look at him. And everyone spoke well of him. So I don't know if they like started chattering right there. Like, I don't know if this is like a situation where like, Jesus is talking, and then you, like, turn to your neighbor, like, he's doing pretty good. 
I like this guy. I thought, man, finally. <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, but they, they start chattering amongst themselves. And, and everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that come from his lips. In other words, man, he speaks so nice. I just like it when he talks. I just like the sound of his voice. Even though he just said the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day, they're like, hmm, we should ponder that. And then they say this, how can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Joseph's son? We know this guy. How, how does he talk like this? And at this point, this is positive feedback. It's like, listen, this is one of our guys. This is one of our own. We've known him. We've known him since he was a child. We've bought chairs off of him. He used to be a carpenter. Like, we've bought these things from him. Like, wow, like, listen to this guy. Who knew? Who knew this was in there? He's covered with sawdust usually. Who knew? Who knew? Then he said, oh, man, he's not done. You will undoubtedly quote me this proverb in verse 23. Physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. You know, there's other moments in Scripture where, especially in the red letters uh, in Jesus' stories, where Jesus actually started answering people's thoughts out loud. And that's recorded in other places where they would think these questions and then Jesus would say it out loud and then like, whoa. And then, but then they go back and forth in the dialogue. I actually think that right here he's answering their question that they're thinking on the inside. Because he had a full house, he had a full crowd, and they've heard reports of what he's doing. Because he wasn't just speaking in synagogues, he was casting demons out, people were getting healed, lives are being changed. So even when he reads this, this passage and he goes, listen, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, I'm anointed to bring goodness to the poor, blind are going to see. They're like, yeah, yeah, no, we, we hear that, we see that. But we actually, could you put on a show for us? Could you do that here? For us, as if the church in the 21st century is the only church that was struggling with entertainment culture and consumer culture at church. Come on, Jesus, just do your thing because we like it when you show off in sign wonders and miracles. You did it everywhere else. How come you're not doing it here? But I tell you the truth, Jesus says, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Then he gets wild. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent to a foreigner, a widow of, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but only one was healed, uh, only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. And when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. And then watch, watch how quickly this shifts because we do this all the time too. They're like, oh, before Jesus kind of broke it down, they're like, oh, this is, this is our guy. This is, isn't this the son of Joseph? He's one of our guys. He's one of us. We know his brothers. We know his mom. We know his dad. Isn't he wonderful? Oh, he's so good. And then the tone changes. It's the same words, but it's a different vibe. In Matthew 13, 55, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? In Mark 6, 3, then they scoffed. They scoffed. They scoffed. Can you believe it? They scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. They were really mad. <laughs> Do you ever read the Bible and you're like, I don't understand why they were really mad. <laughs> like he just like, he's just, he's just talking. Why, why are they so mad at him? Daryl Bach in his commentary on the book of Luke says this remark of Jesus is strong for two reasons. Two reasons why they were mad. First reason they were mad is because 
the listeners, Jesus is comparing the listeners in the synagogue on that day. That era of Elijah and Elisha was the worst era for spirituality in Israel's history. So he's like, basically, you're the worst. And then he suggests that Gentiles, who they intensely disliked, anyone who wasn't a Jew, were worthy of ministry and worthy of being saved. He might even be suggesting that they were more worthy than they were. So he introduces, you know, his first message at home, he preaches a racially charged message. Super exciting. That's what he does. He just throws down racially charged message. Let's go, Jesus Christ. Just throw it down. But this isn't the only portion of scripture where Jesus, or sorry, that, that God shares his plan. He's like, it's, it's actually pretty clear for the Jews. And we're not anti-Jew. We're just understanding what was happening in the moment. It says in Isaiah 11:10, and in that day, this is in the New King James, and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. In the New Living, it says, In that day the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world, and the nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. Wherever Jesus is is a glorious place. I like the New King James Version. His resting place shall be glorious. If we draw near to him, we'll be glorious. Now, the truth is none of us have a problem with anything that Jesus is saying right here because we're all Gentiles, unless you happen to be a Jew in the room. But we have no problem because we're all the beneficiaries of Jesus coming to the planet, dying on the cross. Being resurrected. We're all beneficiaries. We're all here going, yeah, I don't know what your problem is. Jesus died for the right people, which is all people. Wow, it's Sunday night, tough crowd. Highlands is a tough crowd sometimes, people. It's okay. We can take a deep breath. We can laugh. It's fine. I'm going to take a drink of coffee. I just think about that joke. Jesus is making the greatest announcement in the history of the world that salvation is for everyone. I say all this to say, when we think about all of the things that Jesus did, I think the picture of salvation is highly underrated. That as believers, we underrate salvation. Like, that's not possible. Yes, it is. Because every single time somebody like me stands up and starts talking about salvation, you're like, well, maybe he'll preach a message for me. Because we take it for granted. Because we're just like, well, yeah, this is like, this is just, this. <laughs> I don't know if you're aware, but this is Christianity 101. Yep, it is. Every time we hear about salvation, we should be filled with like overwhelming, uncontainable gratitude. Because we have life, and then we have life into eternity. Even though if you spend too much time thinking about life in eternity, it kind of messes with your brain. You know, we sing a song, um, uh, what's it called? How Precious is Blood, and the bridge is, I get to spend eternity forever. How's it go? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send, I get to live with you forever. Oh, what a miracle. And I think we don't really do a great job at responding when that part comes on. We're like, ah, is that a bonus? What are we going to do up there anyways? 
I've been to a number of funerals in the last little bit. And there is a stark contrast between a Christian funeral and a funeral for people who do not know Jesus. At a Christian funeral, it is sad. There is a sense of earthly loss. There is real pain that we're not going to see somebody. But there's also a hope in the room. I'd go as far as to describe it as Scripture does as a confident hope. That at some point, we are going to see this person again. We're going to see them in heaven. We're going to spend eternity together. It's going to be awesome. We're not going to think too much about it, but we are going to see them again. And so there is this hope. When you go to a funeral for somebody who does not know Jesus, there is legitimately just no hope. There is just pain and loss and emptiness and anger and frustration and questioning. It's different. There's crying at a Christian funeral, but there's a different type of crying and weeping that happens at a non-Christian funeral because of salvation. Because of this confident hope, because Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came to this planet so that no matter your ethnicity, no matter your background, no matter what you come from, no matter how you live, no matter how you function, no matter any of those things, that he died for you and for me and for anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, you too can be saved. He came that you and I could be saved, that he could save us, and he did it in spite of ourselves. We like to think he died for the best parts of us. The truth is, he really needed to die for the worst parts of you. Romans 5 says he came while we were utterly helpless, while we were still his enemies. He came and he died for us. So we think about this portion of Scripture and we go, I don't understand what the big deal is. It's easy for us to condemn them because we're a room full of Gentiles who are following Jesus. But for us, as I alluded to at the beginning, we must destroy the idol of having a savior of our own making. But this is what I like. It doesn't matter what you like. Jesus came he died, we now resurrected, we can now have a relationship with him, it's one-on-one, it's personal, it's real, and the formula is simply this, we must choose to follow Jesus with all of our heart, our soul, our strength, and all that is within us. That's it. All that is within us, just all, just everything. Ah, but I'm not feeling it this week. Hmm, that's okay, I guess. No, it's not okay. He died, he gave his whole life for us. He didn't give part of his life for us, he gave all of his life for us. We're just so easily give him a piece of us as if he's an extra that we could add to the extra value meal of our life. He's like the large fries. We upgrade the fries. And we've upgraded our life. Anything less 
which is anything less than giving our whole lives to Jesus, all of our heart, our soul, our, our mind, our will, our emotions, our strength, anything less is to eat the bones and to spit out the meat. And we live in this endless cycle of trying to nourish our souls with tidbits and sound bites that we find on Instagram and TikTok. We allow an algorithm to lead us, guide us, and spiritually form us instead of our Savior. So Jesus has an awesome altar call at the end of his message. 100% participation. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Everyone responded. It was amazing. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. You read the Bible and you're like, wow, it just says it how it was. They just intended to push him off the cliff. That was the plan. Hey, what was, what were you, what was your guys thinking there when you rushed the stage and you whisked him outside? Well, we thought we were going to take him up to the top of the hill and push him off the cliff. Now, here's the wild part. That actually would have been okay. In the Torah, he's a blasphemer. He's claiming, claiming to be God. It's okay. In fact, it was legal. That they, there was actually, at this era, in this time, there was a legal mechanism that if you felt, if, in the Jewish community, if you felt somebody was, was blaspheming, that you could just like make arrangements and you could either stone them Hence, all the stoning that happened with Paul. Hey, you guys are following Jesus? Just kill him. This was fine. This was okay. But it wasn't his time yet. And he says he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. He just went on his way. You read it and you're like, this is too good to be true. They, they're like, yeah, yeah, we're just going to kill him. We're just going to push him off the cliff. And he's like, ah, it's not my time. I'm just going to go this way. And he just walks away. And I like to think, like, I like Star Trek. So I like to think that he just beamed through the crowd. But, I mean, you can just play this scenario however you want. Some, some people believe he just walked away. Like, he's just like, ah, I'm out. And he just walked away. There, there's, there's, he doesn't tell us how he disappeared. He just, he just went on his way. But here's what's really interesting. The people, uh, the people that were listening to his message, they tried to put Jesus into the exact same position that Satan had suggested. Because Satan, earlier in Luke chapter 4, said, hey, why don't you go to this highest peak and jump off? And if you just, just jump off, uh, then the angels will come and you'll be, it'll be cool. It'll be great. It'll be awesome. And Jesus said, I'm not going to test the Lord like that. Isn't it interesting that they tried to do exactly what Satan had just tried to do to him? He, under, he already understood the situation. He already understood the assignment. He says, I'm not even participating in this. I'm just moving on. But it shows us what spirit they were operating in. Jesus does say, if you're not with me, you're against me. And so we don't grapple with the same racially charged tensions that they do in reading this text, but we do grapple with social tensions, because if we're being really honest, we feel the same way about a certain group of people. I'm not even going to say which one it is. I don't know which one that you don't like or you hate, but we all do on some level. We struggle with this idea that Jesus came for anyone and everyone. In Romans 10, it says, Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord was anyone. 
But do you really mean that? As when we hear messages about salvation, we're like, oh, yeah, no, no, it's so good. I'm so glad that Jesus saved us. But how do I, he saved me, but I don't know if he can save them. Like, they seem pretty rough. You seem pretty rough. You seem rough because you're thinking that right now. Do you understand what you're thinking or you're contemplating right now, that Jesus can't do it because they're in a rough situation, and you're thinking that Jesus can't do anything, even though he came to the earth literally as a baby, star, manger, showed up, died on a cross, resurrected, and you're like, I don't know if he can do it. <laughs> can he do anything then? Is not the arm of the Lord too short? No, the arm of the Lord is not too short. Here's another one that I love. People tell me this every once in a while, generally over the age of 70. You need to preach about hell more often. <sighs> no, I need to preach the gospel more often. I need to preach the good news. And the good news is that Jesus is saving you from something, which is hell. Which is actually the best way we could describe it is Jesus honors our choice in this lifetime, whichever way you go. You go Jesus' way, you're with him for eternity. You want to stay away from Jesus? He's like, cool. Ah, he doesn't say cool. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was not right. He doesn't say cool. But he does honor your choice. He says, you can spend eternity without me then. And it's eternal torment because we don't think about things like common grace and all the goodness of God that just shows up, but that's a whole other conversation for a whole other day. So why do we put such an emphasis on salvation? I have a conviction and this is my conviction, um, and convictions, personal convictions are not something that you, that you superimpose on other people. I think sometimes we make this mistake as Christians. God speaks to us about something, and then we decide that he means it for everybody. Often he means it mostly just for you. The personal conviction that I have is, is simply this, that when we started our church, which was engaged and is now Saints Church, that every time I preach, every time I speak, I actually got called out in a room like this, and pastors, I was worried about, this is, this is exactly what happened. I was worried. We were about to start Engage. I was working a full-time job. I was worried. I had never worked full-time in, in a secular career and then tried to do the pastoring thing. And I was like, how am I going to have enough time to study? How am I going to have enough time to have, have a word every week? Because I don't know if you know this, but Sundays just keep coming. And now we do it twice in a day. And Sundays, morning and night, just keep coming. And I was like, I don't know how I'm, I'm going to do this. And so this guy calls me out in a conference. He says, you're worrying about whether or not you're going to have enough messages to preach. And the Lord says, I will always give you a message. And he said that through that guy. And then I go back to my seat. And he says, you, I want you, every single time you preach, to extend an invitation of salvation every single time. And I've had people ask me, why do, you, why do you do this? Why do you, like, you know that there's nobody here that is going to make that choice. Well, like, first of all, you don't, know, you don't know that. And it doesn't really matter if anyone makes the decision. We put an emphasis on salvation because Jesus did and God does. He says this in 2 Peter 3. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. This is about him coming back. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. 
But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. In other words, God is giving us more time to finish our homework. So we exist as a church so that anyone and everyone can discover the hope in life that's found in Jesus, even if I don't think that they qualify, even if I don't think, even if I think they're rough around the edges, even if I think that God can't do it, even if I think it's an impossible situation, even if I don't agree with their lifestyle, even if I don't agree with their choices, even if I, I don't agree with, with anything about their life, even, even if, if they worship another God and I go, you know what, the, no one is going to break through. Can I tell you right now what's happening in Iran? The church is exploding in Iran because Jesus is showing up to Muslims in their dreams. And he's like, there's a better way. I'm not going to count out the power of Jesus to reach anyone on this planet. I'm also not going to discount that he literally asked me to do this with him. Go into all the world and make disciples. Salvation was Jesus' first ministry. Get this, Matthew 121, it's Christmas time. We've heard this already. And she will have a son, and you're named him, you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. His name literally means that he will save his people from their sins. Jesus had a primary mission. His first ministry is salvation. He says this, the spirit of the Lord came, is upon me, for he's anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. I'm going to land the plane right here. In Greek, there's two words for the poor. We don't really need a band, it's fine. Maybe Enoch. There's two words in Greek. Panas, which is the working poor. So everybody. Uh, I mean, this economy, am I right? <laughs> I'm not going to make any other political jokes. Okay. And two coasts, which is the begging poor. The begging poor meant that they couldn't do any work. They were in, a, in such a condition that they could not do any work. And if somebody didn't have mercy on them, they would die. You know, when you read in scripture, there's this person begging on the side of the road and, and they, they were lame for 30 years and they were laying there on the side of the road. That's what he's talking about. If someone doesn't have mercy on them, if someone doesn't flip them a coin or give them a $20 bill, then, then they're just going to die. The truth is, that is us spiritually. We are the begging poor. We cannot do enough good de deeds. We cannot be perfect. We are humans and we make mistakes. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, we all need a Savior. Each and every one of us. Shane Pruitt says it like this. The goal of the gospel is not to affirm you. It's not to celebrate you and it's not to accept you. The goal of the gospel is to rescue you, transform you, and redirect you. In the New King James, in Luke 4.19, it says, Jesus says, listen, my job here is to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And the New Living Translation says, the time of the Lord's favor has come. In 2024, can I tell you, it is the acceptable year of the Lord. The, the year of the Lord's favor is here right now. 
Second uh, Corinthians 6 says, For God says at just the right time, I heard you on the day of salvation. I helped you indeed. The right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. In Hebrews 3, verse 7, that is why the Holy Spirit say, today when you hear his voice, today in this service on a Sunday night or when you're listening on the podcast, today, today, when you hear his voice, verse 15, today if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. To borrow the words of Jesus, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the acceptable year of the Lord. you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. If you're a Christian or a follower of Jesus, the first thing I want us to do we need to repent of our hard hearts. We've taken the saving grace of a savior who laid down his life for us and we've taken it for granted. And we've included ourselves and often we're happy to leave others out. It's just too much, it's just too hard, there's just too many. Now today is the day of the Lord's favor. Today is the acceptable year of the Lord. We get an opportunity partner with the Holy Spirit. Revelation 22 says, let the spirit and the bride say, come. We speak in a Holy Spirit stereo in one voice. Come all who are tired and thirsty and Jesus will give you rest. But we as followers of Jesus need to repent of our hard hearts because we've got a rhythm and a routine and we don't want anyone to upset, upset it including God. Don't get in my way. I've got a schedule. I've got appointments. And I like you just in this way, not that way. That way makes me feel uncomfortable. Can we take a moment and shatter the glass ceiling that is our routine and is our comfortability? And say, God, forgive me. Instead of following you, I've made an idol of my own image that looks kind of like you. God, forgive me because I've missed what you've asked me to do. Romans 10, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they never have heard about him? And how can you hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. Today, we send you 
in the name of Jesus, because today is the day of salvation. God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Second thing, if you're here today and you do not yet have a relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship with Jesus, I want to just give you an opportunity to respond. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. It's a personal moment. It's a personal decision. At baptism, you'll boldly declare it. But at this moment now, you say, wow, I'm in desperate need of a Savior. I need Jesus. I need hope. I need life. I need freedom. If you're here today, you say, I need Jesus tonight. I'm going to count down from three. When I get to one, would you just give me a quick wave and say, that's me. I need Jesus right here, right now. Whether you're in the room or you're online, I need Jesus right here, right now. If that's you, you're in the room, and you invite Jesus into your life to be the Lord and Savior of your life, to give your whole life to him, that he would forgive you, wash you clean, and give you hope, a life, and a purpose. If that's you, give me a wave. And three, two, one. Quick wave, quick wave, quick wave, quick wave. Amen. 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 Amen is simply code for we have some work to do some people to invite. Nobody's responded in this moment, in this room, but maybe you're online right now. Whether you're online or in the room and you say, I just, I'm frozen, I'm just overwhelmed. I just, I, I feel in my heart that I need this, but just too much. You can actually just text the word Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. You can text it, Jesus to 587-400-2010. Put up, we'll put it up at the screen at the end of service. So you don't have to miss it. I just want to pray. God, we want more of you. We want more of you. We want more of you in every area of our lives. We want more of you. More of your presence. More of your power. We don't want to go through the motions. We don't want to appear awake, but live in a slumber. We don't want to appear alive, but to be truly dead. We want to be alive, alive with your power, alive with your presence. We want to walk with you and talk with you. Jesus, we surrender our lives to you. We surrender our preferences and our ideals. We give them all to you. We say, God, have your way. Have your way. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is that bonus episode of the Saint Church Podcast. Once again, my name is Brett. I'm the pastor of Saint Church. And we've got locations across the Edmonton region. You can find us online at saintchurch.ca. But if you want to dial in those socials, you can find our Glastonbury location at saintchurch.gl on the Insta. Or Glory Hills is at saintchurch.gh. And our Highlands location, which is brand new, you can find at saintchurch.hl. Thanks for diving in. Thanks for going deeper. You need Jesus, and so do I, now more than ever. Hey, this week, why don't you just make it your personal goal and challenge to share Jesus with somebody this week? Just check in with them, see how they're doing, and maybe boldly invite them to church with you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Sunday.